And we're back. I'm Gravier Brom here with Jamal Carsandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into Strays, Blue Beetle, and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. Today is going to be the best day ever. I love sunshine. I love butterflies. But more than anything, I love Doug. Hey! Shut the fuck up! Fucking piece of shit. That's Doug, the best owner in the world. We're playing this game called Fetch and Fuck. Fetch! He drops me off really far away and drives home without me. When I bring the ball back, he says, Fuck. <laughs> That's how I know I won the game. All right. In our first segment, we're going to be talking about the news. We're also going to be giving a uh, quick review on Blue Beetle and a full review on Strays. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description. Yeah, we'll get into all those reviews in a minute, but uh, there's a lot of news that came out this week. Yeah. And uh, I think we're just going to start with Old Faithful, which is Marvel news. Yeah. All right. So first, I think it's like exciting news, especially like the way the MCU is kind of weird right now. And we'll get into comic book movies in a second. But first off, Thor 5 is reportedly in development. And the most important piece is that Taika Waititi is set to return to direct the movie. And that's coming from Taika himself. So yeah. first off, what are your thoughts on Thor 5? And how do you feel about Taika coming back for it? Yeah, I'm actually happy, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Which, may be, which may be surprising to people because I wasn't a big fan of <clears throat> Love and Thunder. And I yeah. think most people didn't enjoy their Love and Thunder experience. Mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely a dip, especially from how high in high regard people saw Ragnarok. It's like one of the best MCU movies, period. Yeah. I just hope that the the process and the production mimics Ragnarok. I don't know what happened yeah. during Love and Thunder, right? You can speculate in terms of like Kevin Feige maybe not being as hands-on with his kind of, you know, projects being so spread out and his attention. Or it could be just Ty could be like, oh, the the reins are off. I can do what the hell I want to do. And maybe that didn't resonate with a lot of people in yeah. terms of the experience. But I just feel like for the most part, it's still better than those early Thor movies since Tiger came on board. Big time. And I feel like there's an opportunity there for him to tell or continue to tell at least whatever Thor story he wants to tell. I think it's a great opportunity for him, number one, to close out his trilogy. Yeah. Because he shouldn't have to live with like the burden of like Thor one and two. Yeah. Those aren't his problem. No, for sure. And um, when you measure it across like a long enough timeline of the MCU, Thor love and thunder is not like some massive dip in quality or something like that. When you look at the grander state of the MCU, it's still a good movie. I I still like enjoyed that movie. Number Mm -hmm. one. And I also think it had like a great skeleton to it. Like it obviously maybe is a little bulky. Maybe it has too much of this or too little of the stuff you actually wanted to see, like Christian Bale's character. But I think in the long run, Taika Waititi is like one of the most talented filmmakers in the game right now. It's like, uh, it's good for him to be able to wrap all this up himself, be able to kind of, you know, also with Chris Hemsworth being able to like have somebody he trusts at the final stage of like, I'm guessing probably his run in the MCU, mm. right? So I imagine that this is like going to be nice closure for like everybody, including the fans, Yeah, right? And it's like, it's like a, I think it ends up working well for the MCU to trust a filmmaker like that. I do feel as though feel as though the pressure is going to be on because I feel like coming from Ragnarok, people are like, oh man, I am hype for Love and Thunder, and now they're going to be entering this uh, fifth Thor movie, coming from a, mostly a bit of a dip. Yeah, right. The the hype from Ragnarok was so palpable that it was like, yo, when that trailer dropped with Guns and Roses, people were like, oh, we're about to get the goodies again. Yeah, and again, like you said, it was a very mixed bag in terms of the audience reception. But this time, it's like, all right, cool. Hopefully they can bring it back to what we saw with Ragnarok. I think um, also, like, obviously MCU is in, like, a weird place right now where, like, 
you know, any movie that comes out doesn't feel like it's the most important thing in the True. world. Look at how the Marvels, like, we're a couple months away and like, I hear nothing. You know what I mean? Like, they yeah. tried to build it up with a show and all this kind of stuff. I don't think anybody really cares. And I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what the response to that movie is, period, yeah. as well. But You're right. They have to battle that, too. They have to battle so much. Like, people just don't care right now, number yeah. one, about comic book movies. Great point. But number two, I think... At the end of the day, when we're looking at this from a brand recognition kind of perspective as well, like at the end of the day, it's Thor, right? Like he's one of the big three from the early parts of the MCU. So while this is like a dip and while the MCU is in a weird place, they still have this old faithful of a character that, you know, I still think is going to deliver at the very least, like people who aren't big fans of the MCU right now are still going to check out Thor movies. Yeah, Yeah. And I think. On that same way, it's also a good time to like course correct, right? Like, mm. if people didn't like Love and Thunder, maybe Thor Five will be the thing that kind of gets them back into this whole. I agree, yeah, this whole thing. So that's I think why I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, big time. Um, and also speaking of opportunities and speaking of rehashing characters from the past over and over and over, Patrick Stewart will reportedly return to Avengers Secret Wars as Charles Xavier. Mm. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is they don't have their version of X Men yet. So, and Secret Wars if you know the comic book, if you know the story involves so many X-Men characters that all you're really left with right right now is to work with the Fox characters and who you have relationships with, who you can actually physically bring back and reprise their roles as characters that we already know from these movies. So not a surprise, like he's already been in a Doctor Strange movie or a version of him has been in a Doctor Strange movie. So yeah, I'm not surprised. Hopefully they can deliver the goods. I think what this period of the mcu is kind of showing me in the law like and it's becoming more and more true as time is going on yeah i feel like they kind of have been shoehorning this secret war storyline to like everything Mm. it's not like a natural progression it feels like Mm. there's so much stuff that like is still the hangover of endgame and there's so much of a hangover of like everything that kind of happened in the last phase yeah and like now it's like oh guys but don't worry there's still because like their whole thing has like been like escalation like from avengers one to two to three there's always an escalation of the stakes and now they're at this point where like the stakes are so dramatically high it's almost like comical like i I can't even care about this stuff and i I think we're just at that point where it's like you guys didn't make me care about this enough and Mm. the same thing with this xavier stuff like you guys didn't make us care about your x-men yet so now you're rehashing like this nostalgia kick and it's like Maybe this wasn't the right time to do any of this. Well, again, they have no X-Men to compare it to, right? That's the whole point. Well, that's what I mean, right? Like, maybe this would have been... Like, maybe in retrospect, this era should have happened later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we we don't have an MCU that's full of, like, X-Men characters yet. So, like, you're now just giving us stuff of, like the past and like you're not co-signing any of that stuff so why are you giving it to me now yeah it's a, it's a weird one because i think when they were finishing up or at least in production with endgame they were already kind of mapping out what the next phase was going to be and i can't remember f- from memory where the relationship currently at that time was with the fox characters had they just recently purchased it didn't know what to do mm-hmm. um so i don't know what happened there but what's interesting about them using these characters is Again, it's old faithful, right? Like, even though from the Thor perspective, it's like, oh, we've been with this guy for still a long, long time. And not only with- that, but the pop, we've already been given the Charles Xavier pop as yeah. part of the MCU in uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Sure. So it's like, yo, what are we doing? And we are going to get a Wolverine pop in Deadpool yeah. before he ultimately ends exactly. up in Secret Wars as well. I'm not that mad at it, honestly, only because, like I said, there are no other X-Men to work with. Right. And until they actually have their own version of X, which probably won't be until a few phases from now. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, But at the same time, you know, maybe they can look back at how they used 
you know, Charles Xavier in Doctor Strange, like, you know what? We could have done a better job of that. Yeah. Right? And, and if it's him with, you know, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine uh, and some other X-Men, yeah. you know, then maybe they can make something fun with it. They could probably, they probably will. Like, at the end of the yeah. day, like, I don't doubt that I'm going to enjoy Secret Wars. I'm going to enjoy the Kang Dynasty and all that kind of stuff. I, I do believe I will end up enjoying this stuff. Yeah. It's just along the way, feels like something's not right and obviously we've talked about how they need to course correct and all this kind of stuff but like something's up like this story doesn't even make sense to me anymore i know what you mean i know you haven't seen uh secret wars yeah sort of secret wars uh secret invasion yeah but when i was watching secret invasion which is really really bad by the way they keep referring to the blip yeah and that's like that's another thing you're you're kind of referring to it's this hangover of, of endgame it's already been so many years can we move on from the blip and can we actually start to raise the stakes exactly. of what the actual next big storyline is? We haven't got closure from the last phase. Yes. You haven't built up a new one. Like we're in this weird in-between of what's been happening. And right. I think the problem is like a lot of people have like already left the train. You know what I mean? They're like, eh, this isn't moving the way I want it to. I'm going to go to a different place. Yeah. Or what, they're not going to the theater like they were because yeah. the box office numbers don't lie. And the funny thing is, is like they're, they're announcing like the digital drop on Disney Plus almost the same day as the theatrical release. And it's literally just a couple of months later. So if you're a parent with, with kids, are you like, let me take the whole family and spend a hundred bucks on tickets and popcorn to watch the latest MCU movie? Or should I just wait two bloody months yeah. and watch it on Disney Plus that I'm already paying for anyway? Big time big time um also speaking of other uh comic book news first off james gunn confirms that the dcu's batman hasn't been cast yet the reason that's like a relevant thought is because there was a rumor that john krasinski is rumored to play batman in uh what is it the brave and the bold or whatever it's called right and uh it's interesting obviously they're looking for a relatively older batman um how do you feel about that casting news by the way did you feel good oh, about that? you know what for so many years i don't know if you feel the same way I had this whole idea of him being Mr. Fantastic fixed. The whole internet did, yeah. And then because of that cameo, I guess for lack of a better word, in Doctor Strange, now that that has been checked and we know that they're going to move in a different direction, it's hard for me to imagine him as anyone else but Mr. Fantastic, but he's such a talented actor that maybe he could pull it off. I think so. I actually think he can pull it off. Like, I feel like that guy is just waiting for that role. Whatever that role is, like, he's waiting for it. And maybe it's Batman, maybe it's not, but... There's something there, and I think like he's already like checked off like the Fantastic Four thing, and I don't think there is a bigger pop in that. And I feel like he's an actor that plays well off other people, other actors, and for him to play a Batman that would have to play opposite a Robin, I think he's a good actor to actually jump into that kind of role. It's not a bad show. Yeah, that's a good show too. Yeah, and you never know. Like it could be. It depends on what the direction of that mm-hmm. movie is going to be, but I feel like. John Krasinski is like a talented actor. He's waiting for a role. It's inevitable that like he's going to have whatever that hit is. Yeah. And uh, it's just a matter of like finding the right pieces. And I think he might be the guy. You know, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's something that's outlandish, even though they haven't confirmed it. It's still like if that were to be the announcement, I don't, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Yeah. I mean, the brave and the bold apparently is supposed to be kind of like the bat family. Yeah. Right. So to, to, to kind of picture him in that kind of family environment where there's like a Robin, is there a Batgirl? Is there a Nightwing? Other characters? Yeah. I think he could do really, really well in that yeah, role. Yeah, absolutely. And and last piece of news that I got is, kind of speaking of what we were talking about before, Dave Bautista and Jason Momoa, they are going to be starring in a movie called The Wrecking Crew. It's a new buddy action movie from the director of Blue Beetle, Angel Manuel Soto. I feel like those two, in a movie like this, it just makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. I mean, 
they, the, the action plot they can definitely nail. 100%. I wonder if it'll be good. Yeah, but I I still think it makes a lot of sense. I think Batista it's definitely, a swing worth swinging for. Yeah, and Batista definitely has, uh, in my opinion, anyway, from the performances that I've seen, you know, really good comedic timing. Yeah, especially given the right dialogue. And same thing with Jason Momoa too. Sometimes that dude's funny. I feel like yeah. you know, those two can bounce off each other like pretty yeah. well. Yeah, that first Aquaman movie. I mean, again, there were some really good moments in that movie, mm-hmm. and it's why it was very, very successful. Yeah, even though as a general movie, I didn't like it, but there were some moments where I'm like, this guy's got something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, also speaking of uh, you know, the movies coming from the director of Blue Beetle. Yeah. So I think that's a good segue because uh, I kind of yes. want to get into your thoughts because. Yeah, so first off, we're just about to talk about Blue Beetle, so spoilers ahead. Second, so my thought is, uh, number one, I'll just mention, I didn't watch Blue Beetle. Mm. I uh, thought, you know what, this feels very skippable. And if I have to watch it, I will have to have watched it. Like, I'll watch it down the line. Right. If I have to watch this as part of the DCU, I'll do it, but eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I wanted to ask you, what did you think about the movie? Because you actually did watch it. Yeah, so this is like a bonus review this week. We're not going to go like super in-depth or anything, but I'm just going to give my general thoughts. Um. Let's just say this. It is the number one movie of this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And it did do decent at the box office. But in general, when you look at the the 10,000 foot view, it didn't do nearly as well as other DC movies have done in the past. Literally the worst opening for yeah. DC like yeah. ever. But like, oh, again, still, nice, number but it, but still, still number one. Still number one. But that just shows you the state of comic book movies right now. And it also shows you the state of just the, the release window we, we've been in in the last couple of weeks where Barbie was at number one for like four weeks, killing it at the box office. Yeah. Like even if you are number one for two weeks in a row, that in the modern era is an accomplishment. Absolutely. The fact that Barbie was number one for a month is insane. And Oppenheimer is like right there behind it, still killing it at the box office as well, yeah. right? So the fact that finally there was like something new, you know, it done okay, but like you said, the worst opening for a DC movie. Yeah. Before I give you my thoughts, let me just say this. Generally speaking, from the people that have watched the movie, if you look online, if you look at Metacritic, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's actually been received pretty damn well from both critics and from audiences Mm -hmm. not great reviews but like solid to good yeah like most people if you look online seem to enjoy the movie i'm not one of those people unfortunately (laughs) right i thought it was kind of like mid to below mid yeah and i thought there was like a couple of moments here or there which felt fresh and felt new and didn't feel like what were the things that you think like if you were to give like positive thoughts on this movie what what like specific things do you go like you know what that worked and i would love to have seen that in a different maybe like a bigger movie or maybe in a better version of this movie when the the latino family are together i think there's some really great comedic comedic moments there Mm -hmm. when he's just like you know figuring out how to use the blue beetle suit and it's very clumsy and it's a bit of a rant. It's, it's, it's fun, yeah. right? When it actually gets to the, the seriousness of the story, there isn't the strongest villain ever. And I feel like some of the other cast members aren't as strong in their performances. And also just in general, the whole movie didn't feel like a, an epic blockbuster cinematic release. Like this could have easily been like a TV movie. I think it, it, the, the crazy thing is that it was. Yeah. Initially, that's what it was. Yes. And they upgraded it and they added it to the DCU and all. Yeah. Kinds of stuff. So, like it's an interesting decision on their part in general. Yeah. And from what I read, they kind of saw the first cut and they they were like, let's just throw some extra money and let's try and upgrade some of these special effects and these action sequences. Mm-hmm. But it's it's even when you see it, it still doesn't take away that feeling of a TV movie. Yeah. You know what I mean. There are some Batman and Superman references in there, but not specific 
to you know the Henry Cavill Superman or a Ben Affleck Batman. Was there anything in there that you thought was like a Easter egg that you thought was like, oh, maybe this is something? So there's a post credit scene um, which refers to, I guess, the original Blue Beetle. So I don't just want to throw it out there. So you know the Blue Beetle you see in this movie isn't technically the first Blue Beetle in the universe that they're building and oh the lore Lord. that they're creating here in this film. So it's Shazam. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it, that. Got it. Right. Um, so so yeah, man. I mean. <sighs> Like, I didn't enjoy it. I went with my wife. She didn't enjoy it. And uh, by the way, between me and my wife, she's actually like a hardcore DC fan. Mm-hmm. Like, she enjoys Marvel, but she's like, gr- growing up from a kid, she's always been like a ride or die DC fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she hated it. <laughs> so, I'm surprised, yeah. So, just gonna throw it out there. Like, oh you know, my gosh, how many times are we gonna hear about the original version of this or that? Like, right. Yo, DC needs to get it together, man. Uh, and again, man, it's like this still, this whole, like, <laughs> question mark over is this going to be part of james gunn's dc future okay if you're a fan and you have seen this now do you hope it's part of it i hope it's not oh my god like i don't want like i don't want anything to do with blue even as a character it's pretty weak Mm -hmm. like the whole idea that this scarab looking alien creature comes to earth and attaches itself to a chosen one human and creates a superhero it's like it's a bit weak if you ask me yeah oh my gosh it's it's not that great how many times have we seen this movie yeah and also and and this is not just uh, a dc thing it's a marvel thing it's a comic book fatigue thing but the whole idea of superhero action sequences yeah like the blaster gun like i think just in general when i see an action sequence they need to start pushing the barrier and start to get way more creative because I'm just numb to it all at this point. Yeah. And it, it needs to be something different now. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think that's kind of the thing that is, is the reason why I'm not watching this movie mm. is like, yo, number one, there's no reason to. Yeah. You can't tell me that this is part of the DCU and just expect me to show up. Right. Because guess what? Your DCU doesn't matter to me yet. Yes. Right. This is like, if this is an important thing in the DCU, maybe I would have watched it. But you've already told me this is kind of a part of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is kind of like this is about like he'll show up eventually, and it's like what? Like I, why do I care about this then? James Gunn hasn't come out and be like, "Yo, this is the first movie of the new era." Yeah, nobody's making me care about this movie. Number yeah. one, just in general, comic movies need to do something to make me care because right now we're in this weird place where like nothing feels like it matters. Mm. Everything is such a wash. Yeah, but we just need to move on from like whatever this era is. I'm excited to see what the next one is because the next one has to be innovative or it's gonna die. Well, the funny thing is, is to round out this whole pre-James Gunn DC era, we still have one bullet in the chamber to swallow. Yeah. And that's Aquaman. Guess what? I still haven't seen Aquaman <laughs> 1. All right? You're not going to give me watch 2. I'll tell you that much right now. I'll watch it just to shit on it on this, yeah. this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. That's going to be a solo segment. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's everything for Blue Beetle this week. Any Anything other takeaways? No, I mean, I, I, I think I hit it on the head, but yeah, if I was to give it like an actual star rating... Yeah. A 1.5. Wow. We're going that low. It was just like, uh, I I couldn't wait to leave the theater. Yeah. You know, it was just like, and I I don't even know why I stuck around for the post credit scene. Yeah. But I did. You know what? It's a a bit disappointing because like, obviously. Oh, but uh, but let me just co-sign this one more time. I am in the minority. If you look online, yeah. most people are actually For enjoying sure. the movie. For sure. And God bless them and God bless the, the creators because it's very different. And again, it's a brand new character, not a brand new character, but a character that hasn't had a featured TV show, a movie, anything, any kind of treatment done to it before. Yeah. So at least from that perspective, it's brand new. You know what? I think on one side, for for yourself to have seen the movie and not like it, I think that's like a shortcoming of like the movie, maybe creatively or whatever you feel. 
But for me, it's like a shortcoming of marketing. You didn't mm. make me care about this at all. Right. So on two parts, uh, it's obviously not a big W. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah. But yeah, let's get into the movie we did watch together. Uh, we're talking this week about strays. Reg, you can learn how beautiful it can be when you're off the leash. This beer is making me dizzy. It's about to get real dizzy up in this bitch. I'm having a great time. Look at this motherfucker right here. What you want? Huh, homie? You little bitch-ass friend with the motherfucking home perm and shit. What did you just say? You go, I Reg. would hate for this to get violent. All right, gentlemen, we're talking strays. I feel like this is going to be a pretty different review yes. than Blue Beetle. But uh, first thing is, like, I've never asked you this question. Have you ever had a dog? No. Never had a dog. Never, any, any pets? Anything never like had a pet. Never had a dog. Don't want the responsibility. Don't care. <laughs> but, but I love spending time with my friend's pets. Yes, yes. Your yes. dog's incredible. Yeah, Most absolutely. of my, our friend circle, most yes. of them have dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it. Yeah, I think so too. And the fun thing is like, as I feel like this movie, number one, we do talk about strays. It really just... It makes me like appreciative as like a dog owner kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I also uh, just on a side tangent, I hate the term dog owner. Okay. All right. What do you I, like? I, I nothing. There's nothing oh. that should be existing. You're okay. my buddy. You know what right. I mean? Like <laughs> this is it. Like okay. this is my friend. And like in my head, uh, even like I get there are so many people that are like annoying about their dogs. Like, oh, my dog's really obedient. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But right. this, this guy's like my friend. Like we hang out. Yeah. I take him on walks and we like just chill. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like. I feel like I have this good relationship with my dog. And maybe I have like this reverse Stockholm syndrome thing where I'm like, no, no, no. He really likes me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But at the same time, I feel like I have such a healthy relationship with my puppy mm-hmm. where I think there's like genuine love there. And I mm-hmm. try to give him genuine love right back. Yeah. And I find it so weird. This movie in particular, I think dog ownership is like a really weird idea. Pet ownership in general. Like it should be a situation where you're like, do you mess with that thing? Because if you like it, then like you should be treating it really well. Right. And this movie is like this really interesting exploration at all of that. It absolutely is. And, and, and it's actually great timing for this movie to come out because I think I read somewhere a long time ago during the pandemic that dog ownership and people wanting pets in general just skyrocketed like yeah. crazy because yep. they just wanted that companionship yeah. while they're alone at home for like a year or two and not only that but the follow-up stat to that is so many dogs ended up in being either strays or like given up or sent to adoption or whatever it is right like the lack of ownership after that period was like tremendously high as well mm-hmm. so when you when you look at that like dog like owning a dog should be like out of love and something yeah. you feel like you're get like i don't know like same not, thing as adopting a, a, an actual baby i right? agree I, and like us I, I get that people are gonna be like oh yeah it's a human it's very different but it's like dude you are taking someone's life yeah. under your wing like yeah. you better have some sort of responsibility i mean that's there. my mindset yeah like, me too. I, I, don't, I don't want kids i don't want pets but yeah. like if i was to uh put my kind of thinking into what it means yeah it's on par with each other man. i really agree because it shouldn't be like i'm at, like i think that's another thing that happens too is like when you see people who do get kids yeah and then you see like how they kind of treat their dog after the fact like i get that you have priorities but you also took this other responsibility up you better treat that thing well along the ride too, pal. It's funny. You could probably tell who's going to be a good parent but by seeing how they treat their dogs or their big pets. Time, big time. That's a good show too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's get into the actual movie. Um, first off, I just want to say like as a dog owner, yeah. I thought this movie was so genuinely heartfelt. Mm. Number one. Yeah. I think that's like a huge big up for it and genuinely funny. Yeah, man. Like really, really, really funny. So, I really enjoyed it. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we reviewed uh, Talk To Me. You loved it. I didn't. And yeah. this is the thing about horror movies and comedies. 
if a horror movie doesn't scare me, it didn't do its job. Yeah. If a comedy didn't make me laugh, it didn't do its job. Mm-hmm. This movie did its job. It made yeah. me laugh. And one thing I want to say before we kind of go into like all the different characters and, and the actors, it was just so great to see the Jamie Foxx, I guess, credit come up at the beginning of the movie. Because yeah. all, the, all the health issues yes. he's been through recently. Big time. And, you know, even though he's physically not on screen, just hearing his voice made me happy. Yeah, I feel you, man. It's like a weird period for Jamie Foxx as well, right? Like, it's like a weird time for him to be coming out of those health problems and all this kind of stuff. But this is such a cool movie to come out with. Of course. Because it's like, obviously in the chamber already, but like, at the same time, it's almost like a sentimental thing. Like, I hope Jamie Foxx Foxx is doing well on one side. And like, at the same time, like this movie really delivers, his character really delivers in that way as well. Yeah. One thing I will say, just off top, like just visually, uh, they used a lot of real pets. Like 95% of the shots are just real dogs. Yeah. Right. But I didn't ever feel like, and I think a big credit to the movie, I never felt like even with them talking, voicing human words through their mouth, it never felt out of place. I never felt weird about it. Nothing like that. It just looked, it was a good looking movie. I think the special effects to have the dogs um, move their mouths talking uh, in English is close to flawless. Yeah. And it's it's a weird thing to praise, but it's, absolutely deserves praise because we've seen it done so poorly in the past it can take you out of the movie if it's not done right 100 percent. it's so important because then like you said you're not even thinking about it now yeah. you're just kind of going on this journey with these dogs and exactly. these characters exactly yeah and not only that but we mentioned it before like the idea of like you know treating your animal animal well and all that kind of stuff this movie i feel like along with guardians like animal cruelty awareness is like having a great year yeah you know what i mean like uh along with like the story of like when you go through with uh with rocket and you see him kind of like going through all that crazy stuff. And then along this way, like you see like how I feel like they've done a good job outlining this year of like how you should treat an animal well. Yeah, absolutely. And why you should treat an animal well. Absolutely. One of the things that makes this movie work so well for me is if you really think about it, it's a road trip movie yeah. without being in a car. Mm-hmm. And it's about a group of friends that go on this journey. You know what the goal is. You know what the mission is. But it's all the little adventures they kind of go on on that journey. And those kind of movies are always fun. You know what? I was going to say, I was saying this, uh, or I was mentioning this before, but like it, it basically feels like it hits all the same checkpoints that you would hit in a Disney movie. Yeah. This movie hits. Yes. You get your squad along the way. You know what the objective is. You almost fall short of the objective and then you actually accomplish the objective. That's the entire movie. But like, really, like, I I love how this movie doesn't take itself too seriously in all the best ways. Like, the main objective of the movie is we're all going to, number one, bond over trauma. And then number two, we're going to bite this guy's dick off. Yes. Those are great objectives to, like, really build together. Yeah. You mentioned how it's, you know, hitting all the beats of a Disney movie. But at the same time... This is for adults. This is an R-rated comedy and it it pushes it. And I love the fact that it pushes it. Um, Even like the littlest of things is like they kind of talk about, well, the characters, the dogs, talk about things from what we think they would think from their perspective. Like, I wonder what they do with all of our poop. Yo, can I tell you, (laughs) that is genuinely one of the best written jokes in film I've seen in a long time. I don't care. As a dog owner, to have the realization that these dogs are like, what are they doing with our poop? They keep scooping they're it. They're collecting it. Yeah. And then they say how uh, they're doing it because they are, they're, they must be making chocolate out of it. Right. Have you ever had a piece of chocolate? <laughs> oh, like, oh my God, that's genius. <laughs> that is so smart. Like, as a, like, that's, it hits all the notes of being a dog owner. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. But yeah, like you were mentioning how like they, they really do hit a lot of like those notes along the way. Mm. And it's like easy stuff. But at the same time, like, 
I can imagine this movie really having a good long-term run. Oh, 100%. Like, I feel like, you know how, like, Elf kind of has its own little cult following, and yeah. every Christmas you go out of your way to watch it? Yeah. I feel like this is going to be, like, a weird cult following kind of movie, and it's going to find... It doesn't have, like, that same quaintness, because it's not attached to a holiday. Yeah. But at the same time, I think any pet owner that loves, like, dog movies, they're going to go out of the way to watch this movie. They're going to be so pleasantly surprised. Oh, I 100% feel that this movie is going to find its real audience on streaming platforms. Like, wherever it lands, Netflix, Disney, whatever. Because I said earlier on that Blue Beetle was the number one movie of the weekend. Guess what was number two? Barbie. Mm -hmm. Strays was number three. So I know that it's not going to get this incredible run over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But... If it can really find its audience, because it's, in my opinion, such a rewatchable movie, it's going to get good word of mouth, in my opinion. I think it will. If it finds that audience on streaming, we may get a sequel. And yeah. the thing is, I do want to get a, I want to see a sequel. I want to see all the creative people involved in the making of this movie come back to the room yeah. and see if they can churn it out again. I agree. I'm all for a sequel for this movie, but I feel like this movie is going to become, like, beloved by, like, pothead yeah. pet owners. Right. Like, people that whatever that Venn diagram middle is that is like what this movie is made for have you and I'm sure you have just been sitting on your couch watching a movie and has your dog just been there sitting by your side sitting and watching along with you all the time that's why I love my dog right it's the cutest thing I'll be doing anything he just comes and sits beside me I can't wait for you to have this experience of watching this movie at home dude I've already had like a hangover situation from this movie where I'm just like oh man I love you so much (laughs) (laughs) I've already had this moment bro um Okay, also, just quickly, speaking of Jamie Foxx, one more time. Sure. One thing, really quick, is a huge shout-out just to how talented this dude is. So funny. He can do anything, right? Number one. But I I just wanted to mention that because I want to go into Will Ferrell. Yeah. Him as Reggie is just, like, this hilarious... Like, no one is as innocently charming and completely oblivious like will ferrell like yeah, nobody yeah. accomplishes that to this degree like he does yeah it's it's kind of crazy to see like number one the comedy pedigree this guy's had for the last like 20 25 years and number two this reminds me a lot or there's this footage of when he was auditioning for snl mm. and everybody who shows up onto snl they always have these characters ready this skit ready basically like they know what they're auditioning with this guy walks in and just acts like a cat for like a minute and it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. It's literally just him pawing at make-believe yarn for like a minute. And you're just dying laughing because nobody... I get it. Like, you know, the content of comedy is sometimes funny. The written word is sometimes funny. But Will Ferrell specifically is like made for whatever this genre of cute and oblivious is. Yeah. And I don't... Well, I can't recall um, seeing a movie that just uses Will Ferrell's voice. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll have to really think. I don't know the last time I even... I'm sure. I think, like, Megamind and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. but, like, nothing came to mind. Yeah. Right? Because I'm so used to... Because his performance is so physical. Yeah, yeah, right? it's true. And, but when you watch Strays, you can visualize it through the performance as Reggie. Absolutely. Because it's done so well. And kind of going back to Jamie Foxx for a second, I think these two played so well with each other. I agree. And Jamie Foxx, obviously, coming from the stand-up background, I would love to know like what that creative process was like how much did he ad lib in the in the recording studio mm-hmm. and how much did these, did these two guys bounce off each other for scenes that were written and they go oh, yeah. why don't we do this or why don't we do that yeah uh, i bet there was a whole bunch of improv in there before then the animators had to go and kind of fix it or work on it with the dogs absolutely um but the the, the duo of will ferrell as reggie and jamie fox as bug was incredible and that is saying a lot given the fact that this is about a pack of dogs a yeah. pack of stray dogs yeah also speaking of improv like another snl alumni will forte who plays doug the owner 
what a tremendous dick. <laughs> right? What a what a jerk. He's such a good heel. If also like if you like if you hate this dog so much, why not just give it back to your ex? Mm. I always like the whole movie. I was like waiting for this ex to come back and like save the dog. Yeah. Like at some point, I thought like when they went to the fair or whatever, like the ex would be there and he'd like run across and then like try to find them or whatever. But she would have taken him back, man. Like I, the whole time, I'm just wondering, like, why is this guy such a jerk? You know why? Because he's such a dick. He's a great. You didn't want to give it to yeah. her, and you want to have that satisfaction. Absolutely. And like by the end of the movie, you want this guy's dick to be bitten off. Yeah. It's very satisfying. Yeah. Um. And also, I think they didn't find Reggie a home yet because like that's the sequel obviously right that's like, what i hope anyway sequel. yeah like it's so like they gave bug a home and all this kind of stuff and they didn't even pay off in that last scene of like oh don't worry reggie's gonna have a home they kind of alluded to it but yeah. we're not 100 percent sure i still mm-hmm. think number one there are good dog owners out there yep and then number two he will find that person and i'm almost certain like it would be cool as like a roundabout way for him to find that that ex yeah and like go back with her at some point yeah oh last thing i will say even before we get into our categories, mm. I'm so grateful I didn't watch a trailer because I watched mm. the trailer after the fact. Okay. And everything is in there. Right. All the jokes, the mushroom scene, everything is in that movie or in, in the trailer for the movie. Like how obnoxious is that? I, I have no idea how people watch trailers, especially for comedy. You know what's funny? Um, being someone that does watch a lot of trailers, I just love the fact that maybe as I'm being older, my memory is absolute crap. <laughs> right. So like, I didn't remember anything from the trailer. Yeah. Like I watch trailers and it's like a nice little hit of dopamine and excitement for the two, three minutes that I watch it. But then it's like immediately deleted. Like yeah, when, yeah. I, when I'm actually there, like I feel bad for people that watch trailers and have like photographic memories Me, man. or have like, well, that is definitely you <laughs> yeah. or like hold on to all these bits of like moments and gags and action sequences that they're like, Oh, I know that I remember it from the trailer and yeah. I know it's about to come up and it's already been spoiled for me. For me. I'm the opposite of that guy. Yes. I'm just getting that little hit and I'm like, I'm excited or I'm not excited or I feel whatever about this. And then, but when it's time to actually watch the movie, I'm going in there with like a Zen state, completely clear mind. I will say as a critique of this movie, I feel like that mushroom scene mm. is like, number one in it's given in the trailer, right? Yeah. So there's no way that could be a good payoff. Sure. Somebody's going to get that and yeah. they're going to put the two and two together so easily. Yeah. But number two, I think that scene is like the lowest point in the movie because they were doing a great job of making me care so much about like, this is like the normal beat of what this movie is supposed to be. And then kind of swinging it into like a fun dog direction. Right. This almost like brought it back where it's like, Oh, I've seen this a million times. Yeah. And like, I don't know if it satisfied any other new things that it should have, but mm-hmm. that's just me nitpicking this dog movie. You know, this is a great segue just talking about um, Josh Greenbaum. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is his second uh, feature film. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at his IMDb, He's actually got a lot of TV credits mm-hmm. and he's actually got a lot of social media, social content credits. And there were two that kind of stuck with me. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but a couple of years ago, um, actually 2015, quite a long time ago now, Arnold Schwarzenegger got dressed up as the Terminator and was pranking people in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. He was behind that. Josh Greenbaum was actually behind that. Oh, and, then, nice. and then there's another one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's guide to blowing shit up. Okay. Right. So like he's, this is his kind of background, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that he's come in to a project like this where you've got established hitters like Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx and, you know, all these kind of like SNL alums like you mentioned. He is now, in my opinion, after this movie, he could... You know how um, for a while now you've been talking about just a new generation of filmmakers and creatives in the comedy space, yeah, right? Do you feel as though with this being his kind of first big comedy swing, he could be maybe a guy that can go on a run? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why not? I don't, I mean, obviously we all know how he's going to do with like 
real actors in like real right. situations. Like, yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen uh, the playbook, his previous movie, but like, I, I don't see why not. Mm. He has good comic sensibilities and like, he's yeah. the good at recognizing funny. I think that's like the biggest thing. That's yeah. like, at the end of the day, you could be a good director, but like recognizing funny is like a whole different skill set. True. Like a guy like Judd Apatow might not be the best director in the world, but that guy recognizes funny mm-hmm. almost to the point where it's competitive. And he's talked about like on his sets, he just brings the funniest people together and he tells them like off the bat, like, Hey, you all are going to just be fighting each other for whoever's the funniest. Whoever is the funniest is going to end up in the movie. Right. And if you're not, that's your own, like that's, that's on you. That's on you. Yeah. And not only that, but he makes them do all these takes in front of each other. Like they're all just sitting around each other, just making jokes, throwing jokes towards each other and trying to help and all this kind of stuff. And that's a whole different thing. Like that's a whole different skill set to recognize funny. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see at the long run. Like, let's see how, uh, Let's see how Josh Greenbaum does because yeah. like, we don't know what his comic sensibilities are going to be long term. But he mm-hmm. seems like a funny dude just looking at his like resume. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, let's get into our categories. Um, as far as best character goes, who do you got? Jamie Foxx as Bug. The minute I hear his voice and I'm like, oh my God. Like I could, Literally, when it comes to funny and comedy, I think there's nothing Jamie Foxx can't do that I'm not going to laugh at. Yeah, uh, for me, it's the same exact thing. But for Will Ferrell as Reggie, I feel like, yeah, he just hit like that. And he also hit those same sensibilities that you like Again, same feelings that you get from Elf in terms of lovability and stupidity. Yeah. They mix so perfectly well in this Reggie character. Um, what about best scene? It's almost like um, there's two scenes that come to mind. It's almost the book end of not the entire movie, but it's essentially when Reggie and Bug first meet each other. Mm-hmm. And it's those first initial scenes where they're just figuring out life. And, you know, you know, Bug is teaching Reggie what he thinks of the world from his perspective. Yeah. And I think all those initial scenes are hilarious. They really are, yeah. And at the same time, in terms of the, the bookend, the other the, the other side of it, when they actually finally accomplish the mission and bite Doug's dick off, yeah. right? I think that whole scene is set up so perfectly and it, they execute it very, very well. They really do execute really well. I think the two funniest things for me are first one. Actually, it's not even funny. I feel like uh, there are a lot of great comedy moments in this movie, but there's two heartfelt moments. One, when Bugs about to get snatched by the hawk, mm. that was like, yeah, what just happened, right. right? And like, that's like my biggest fear as a pet owner as well. Like, it's just like, really if, a hawk? If that were to ever happen, could we sometimes will pay attention to like a hawk's out. But I thought another thing that was really, really funny, well, and I think the funniest part of the movie for completely different reasons, but also like, a weird, really like uh, celebratory moment is the electric fence moment, right? Mm. Where there's this other dog who tries to go out, but he <laughs> has the collar. He doesn't realize, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. He goes and tries to run out and he fails. He gets shocked. And they're, they, number one, that's hilarious from like a dog's watching jackass kind of perspective. Right. But what a balance for Reggie to like be so self-assuring and have so much self-belief that he's like, no, I can do it. I'm the chosen one. Yeah. And then he goes and does it. And it's hilarious because we know why it's so like dumb, but at the same time, it's so like innocent and lovable and like, what a great little moment. I love that. I love that scene so much. And in that scene, what really makes it for me is there's a literal signpost that says invisible fence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> invisible fence. Exactly. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. What about as far as star rating goes? Zero being the worst, five being the best. Where'd you end up for this movie? I gave it a four. I gave oh. it a four out of five. Nice. I had a really good time. I feel like going back to what you said earlier on, like I will watch this when it drops on streaming. I can throw it on the background. I know it's going to be one of those rewatchable comedies I'll throw up every once in a while. 
Really, really great outing, I thought, by Josh Greenbaum. And I thought Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx and the whole cast did a fantastic job uh, as voice actors. And I'm ready for a sequel. Yeah, I went with uh, 3.75, same range, basically. But I feel like even at points when it might be a little corny, it makes up for it in charm. Yeah. And uh, again, I'm here for a sequel. I feel like they still have this big payoff to kind of serve us as like a fan. And uh, even if we don't get like a part two, I still think... Maybe there's a TV show. Maybe there's something else that they can do with this because I feel like they've queued up this property that can really pay off for them in the long term. It's just like, I hope they don't abandon ship right now just because it's like number three or whatever. Mm. I think long term, there is a possible life for a movie like this. And when you look at the movie, it doesn't seem like it was the most expensive movie to make. I don't know what Will's and Jamie's kind of like fees were. So maybe that was a bulk. But like I said... I think it's going to really find its audience in streaming platforms. Yeah. Uh, and I hope it does. Because yeah. that word of mouth will really help, hopefully, you know, pull a big number on streaming and get a sequel. And we've been saying this for so long, but like we need more comedy hits because like unless they show that they can make money, they're not going to keep making them. And number two, like, you know what? I want more comedy. So when something like this comes out and delivers, like we're going to make sure people hear about it and yeah. like go out of their way to check it out because yeah. it's really worth it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's everything for this week. As far as our review goes, let's go into the last segment of the show. Let's get wrecked. Jumbled, can you hit me with Sandu's pick? All right. This week, I got some connective tissue for you. Oh, yeah. I got some too. Okay. Amazing. So <laughs> I'm recommending Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. I actually just ended up talking about just throwing on movies or channel flicking. It was literally just a, had just started the other day. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm stopping right there. <laughs> I am stopping right there because guess what? If you're not first, you're last. Um, this is, in my opinion, one of the most rewatchable comedies from the whole Will Ferrell, John C. Riley catalog. And they've worked together a bunch at this mm-hmm. point. And it also happens to be one of Christopher Nolan's favorite movies. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the clip I just haven't seen that, that's yeah. been circling on social media. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he put it over big time. And listen, it's an absolute riot. It's it's a great film. It's from 2006. Um, and it still holds up really, really well. That whole era, man. Talladega Nights. Wedding Crashes, that whole era of comedy was fantastic. I really, really enjoy that era a yeah, lot, man. Absolutely. And also just heavy hitters, dude. Yeah. Like Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, like in how, their prime. How crazy of a combination is that? Yeah. But yeah, for myself, uh, for Bros Pick, I'm going with also a movie I kind of just threw on last week. Mm. Just again, I've seen it a million times, but like I can throw it on whenever. And I think it works really well for this week, actually, like just by coincidence. Um, I'm going with Goodwill Hunting. Mm. All right. First, I think it has a lot of connected tissue with strays. First, the idea of abandonment, the idea of creating your own family. And I think most importantly, the idea of like learning to love yourself and to care enough about yourself to care what happens in your life. That is like the two, all of these are like massively connective tissues if you ask me. But just speaking on Goodwill Hunting, I think it is a monumental film for this generation or my generation at least. It created stars with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and not only as actors, but it kind of solidified them for being able to offer more than just their acting ability. They went on to like obviously write this, but I'd argue like Matt Damon came out as like this massive star after the fact. And then like he became this, again, massive movie star. But then when you look coming out of uh, Goodwill Hunting, like Ben Affleck is kind of coming in this weird thing, but like now that there's been a long enough timeline, when you look at Ben Affleck's career as a writer, director, and an actor, it's almost like this movie specifically was such a like a crazy nexus moment for both of these guys. Yeah. I think during the whole era, you know, when this movie came out, 
Ben Affleck initially got the push because yeah. he goes from that to like Armageddon to like, oh, now I'm going to play a comic book hero or yeah. Daredevil. And you think they oh, wanted him to be a star. Yeah. But with Matt Damon, he's still doing these like other movies like Talented Mr. Ripley and stuff like that. They're yeah. like, oh, this guy's going to be good. And then he didn't turn around and go to the Hollywood franchise route until the Bourne movies. Yeah. And that whole run, which was very, very commercially successful and critically successful as well, actually. Yeah. But also, um, it's one of the best performances of all time from Robin Williams. Yeah. Right? And it's like, it won him his Oscar. And more than that, I th- just think about how legendary of like Robin Williams as an actor. And without this film, he doesn't get like the flowers that he should get as an actor. Mm. Right. And this one is like, I think his most iconic performance. And that's saying like so much. Right. But even just to wrap it up more than anything, I feel like the more I go through life, the more I appreciate this movie. Mm. I think a lot of guys, when they watch this movie and like they see like the guy friends in this movie, you can relate to the camaraderie of it all. Right. Like in the first half of this movie, it's like you and your guy friends for good or bad. Like truly, it's just like the friends that you love and you care about. That's like the relationship that you see. Yeah. And then the second half of the movie like cuts like a knife and like it cuts the bullshit and it just masterfully explores like masculinity and vulnerability in a way that's so genuine so beautiful like you don't see that in the way that like men are portrayed in film and like the way that it is in this movie it's really tremendous this film is so nuanced that one day we're going to do a full breakdown review of it but one of the things that has always been a takeaway for me from goodwill hunting is this idea of letting go of the local community that you came up because you are better than that and you can achieve more than that. I think it's right? not, it's not even just that. It's letting go of your past mm. and like letting go of what you think defines yourself right. so that you can go on to like do whatever you actually feel like doing because you, again, it's like in this movie, you're boundless, right? Yeah. Like, and that's the kind of the, the sick thing about it. I don't know. I love this movie. I feel like one day we are going to review it. Yeah. But like, Man, that's going to be a whole emotional ass conversation because there's so much in-depth things that we could talk about in this movie. And I think it just hits a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, that's everything for this week. John, where can everybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube Shorts. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Do us a favor. If you enjoyed our review of Strays, our mini review of Blue Beetle, and a wrap up of all the news from the last seven days, Drop us a rating, drop us a review. It honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.